Alrighty, friends, welcome back to Season 2 of Tales from a Cult Insider. I am, as always, your happy, happy host, Jared Garrett, here to tell you stories of growing up in a cult and commune. Quick recap, I was born and raised in a cult. The cult began as the Process Church of the Final Judgment, um, and it broke off of Scientology in Oxford in the 60s, and wound up in the States. It schismed from the Process Church, into one branch that turned into process or came, st stayed on as process church and another branch or thing that turned into the foundation faith of new of the new millennium and the one i was born and raised in was the foundation faith of the new, of the new millennium now i will tell you that it was still a lot like the process uh, for many many years except for that as uh, marianne faded into uh, kind of grayness and less more pro less prominence by for, for sure uh, it seemed that we got more and more vanilla so, uh, but I was raised into this thing until uh, I was 17 when I got out, and I was raised with about 30 other kids, all of which are sort of pseudo-brothers and sisters to me. Uh, I stay in touch with many of them and have very tender feelings for them. So, here we are with uh, episode, goodness gracious, I believe this is episode 35. Uh, yes, technically season two because of the long break I took. Yep, episode 35. It's called Memoir Chapter 6, Are You My Father? We're going to launch right into it here in just a quick sec, but I want to, uh, first of all, say thank you to whoever uh, plugged this podcast over the last little while. You made a big difference. Uh, I, we got about 3,000 new listens over um, about a three-week period. That's a, a significant bump from what I usually get. Uh, it, that bump has gone away now. That's fine. I wouldn't mind some more, though. So, my friends, if you wouldn't mind... Uh, you know, telling people. I've done some informal surveys online and have found that most people really do find new new podcasts through, via word of mouth. Um, and so your word from your mouth will make a big difference for this podcast success. Now, when I say success, I mean more people listening, more people hearing these cool stories, more people uh, finding commonalities, even with the kid who grew up in a cult, and maybe even finding some inspiration and possibly even some strength from the commonalities commonalities that they find uh, with me and with the stories that I share. Um, because you know what? Again, a past is hard. Many of us have you know, traumas and really significant uh, damage that uh, was we were victimized, uh, we became victims of back in our past. And it, it's not our fault. You know, it's, it's the choices of others who did that to us. Luckily, this life is one of those magical, grace-filled things where even, even the terrible choices of others can be transcended. Uh, we can choose to find a way past, uh, or sometimes it's find a way through. Um, maybe even once or twice we have to be find a way around. I don't know. Uh, but for me, my past is an armory, not baggage holding me down. I will tell you that uh, I'm excited for this life. I'm excited for what I can do in this life. Uh, it's been fun, and I have a lot more fun to do. So um, thanks for joining me. Thanks for uh, spreading the word. I would appreciate any reviews, uh, any word of mouth, any anything you can do to spread the word. Um, and if you're a podcaster, go ahead and, you know, plug me, baby. I'll plug you. I want to plug my friend, uh, Nathan Riddle. Uh, I, I should say that his, his podcast, it doesn't really identify him. He has a really fun storytelling kind of podcast uh, called The Griddle. That's The Griddle, as in what we, you know, fry pancakes on as a griddle. Uh, G-R-I-D-D-L-E. He, uh, he and his friend, I forget his name, uh, play a couple of kind of hick type people, really modeled on some of the great, wonderful, sweet people who 
uh, we spent lots of time with uh, down in Kanab. Um, very sweet natured, very cool, very funny. They're, they're a bunch of really good natured men over there. And I admire the podcast. I'm enjoying listening to it. I think you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, their episodes are probably a little longer than mine, but, uh, it's a good thing to do when you're, when you're driving or you're stuck in traffic or if you're doing some manual labor. So check out the griddle podcast. And as always, um, go to podcast HQ on Twitter and you're going to find some really cool stuff out there. Um, alrighty. So. Enough of that. No questions to get through. So we're going to go to memoir chapter six. Are you my father? Are you ready for this, guys? Let's go. Chapter six. Are you my father? My memory of the exact timing of what I'm about to describe is a bit hazy. I know the conversation that ensued happened in Quakertown as well as in Denver. It went like this. I was in Quakertown with several other kids, including Daniel and my other brother, Matthias. Matthias is about three years older than me, so he was something like seven years younger than Daniel. I wasn't much past six years old when this all went down. Or at least, this is my commentary, when it all sort of started to go down. We all knew that Magdalene, our mother, was technically married to John. John was the name that one of the original founders of the Process Church of the Second Coming had taken upon himself. He was British and probably had a bit of a pedigree. He had light-colored, reddish-blonde hair, bushy eyebrows, and spoke with a heavy accent that sounded like you might imagine a king to speak, but with a bit more through the nose than you might expect. I'm going to give you a quick example. He talked like this, you see. I'm going to read the next two or three sentences in his voice. He was balding from very early on and did a strange wispy comb-over for a while before giving up. John's real name was Christopher Fripp. In the process and later in the foundation, he went by John Christopher. And that's enough of that. My mother had married him sometime after joining the process and after her husband had left. They'd had Matthias, and John had formally adopted Daniel. So, John was Daniel and Matthias's father, although Daniel, of course, had a biological father who nobody had kept track of. In Quakertown, I started getting an inkling that John might not be my father, although Magdalene and John had been married when I was born. I'm not sure how this notion occurred to me. It might have been other kids saying I didn't look at all like John, but did look somewhat like Enoch. The idea percolated in my brain for a bit. It's possible that the idea was reinforced by the fact that not only were Magdalene and Enoch together, they were very publicly together. They were both mature, but young and good-looking and articulate, so they were the public face of the Quakertown branch, and actually of the foundation for a while. They appeared on a show called AMPM, which was some kind of newsy talk show thing. The show was so impressed by them that the producers sought and received permission to film a segment at the house in Quakertown. Reader, this was huge for the cult. Marianne, the leader I didn't even know existed, was obsessed with celebrity and had been forever. Getting this kind of legitimate notoriety absolutely thrilled her. Did she make an appearance? Nope. But everybody's very best behavior sure did, and so did much false BS that it was a wonder it didn't stink in there. We kids were choreographed and orchestrated to make things look normal, happy, and healthy. We dodged heavy cables and light stands and generally tolerated the insanity that was having a production crew come out to the house. In any case, seeing the woman I knew was my mother spend so much time with Enoch must have really set the idea that Enoch was my father in my head. Because I, out of the blue one day in Quakertown, asked him if he was. We were in the same place, probably by his design, doing something together. I turned to him and asked, are you my father or is John? What possessed me to do such a brazen thing? I'll tell you. 
I had brought it up to Daniel and Matthias in one of the rare moments that just the three of us were together. Daniel got agitated and swore up and down that John was everyone's dad, that all three of us had the same mother and father. I think he was doing his very best to try to maintain something normal for me, despite us growing up in a cult commune thing. I questioned his certainty and he bore down, repeating several times that John was my father. I don't know if he didn't know the truth, didn't want to believe the truth, my personal theory, or if he knew and wanted to maintain the fiction. Matthias agreed with Daniel, saying John was my father and the matter was settled. But Daniel's protests were too enthusiastic and I felt like he was pushing on me. So I naturally pushed back and asked Enoch. His response was to tell me he would get back to me. I don't know for sure, but I think he might have had to get permission to tell me the truth. A few weeks later, Enoch took me aside and told me the story. He led off with, yes, I'm your father. It was as I have described already. Magdalene had been married to John, but they had basically moved on, despite being legally married. Enoch joined the cult in Boston, and he and Magdalene hit it off and, with Marianne's blessing, became an item. I was born. So, I'm not technically a bastard, because my mother was married when I was born, but my parents weren't married to each other when I was born. So what does that make me? It makes me normal for the foundation. So my legal name when I was born was Nathan Fripp. I had to legally change my name to my father's last name on my own. A funny thing that happened soon after I found out that Enoch was my father, Magdalene and Enoch got married. It was quite a thing. I don't know if it was a civil, legal marriage or if it was simply a cult marriage, but inside the foundation, it was a big deal. Why? Because these two were movers and shakers and were somewhat famous because of their appearances on AMPM. So people came from near and far to attend the wedding. One very large lady who was very demonstrative with her affection toward me broke my handmade stool when she stepped on it to get off the bus that had brought her to the house. I do not know who the lady was and didn't then. Possibly an aunt of some kind? But I met my grandmother, my father's mother, and liked her. She was Grandma Garrett. I had already met my maternal grandmother, Grandma Eaton. I was the ring bearer at the ceremony. I was all dressed up and carried a small pillow with the shiny rings on it. I did a good job. The marriage was solemn. What is the word? The marriage was solemnized by faith the leader of the Quakertown branch. A party followed the ceremony. And that was that. My parents were married. It didn't last all that long, because Magdalene wound up permanently stationed in the desert headquarters of the foundation, not long after I left Quakertown, and my father was transferred with some regularity. He was finally permanently assigned to the Arizona ranch where the cult had its headquarters, before it was moved to southern Utah. Enoch married Evelyn, a woman from Canada who I had known in Denver for a while. They had a daughter when I was almost 11. She was the youngest cult baby ever born. I'll take a minute to catalog my father's journey, since this is his chapter. He was essentially perma-assigned to the headquarters sometime after he left Denver. He was smart and handy, so he became the de facto plumber, taking care of all things pipe-related. After the headquarters moved from Arizona to southern Utah, he became the expert on all things water. He led the water supply efforts, from tapping into water tables to sinking water supply tanks in the ground, and from leading the burying of miles of water supply pipe to installing toilets and sinks. 
He married Evelyn, a lovely lady from Canada, who had taught me some cooking in Denver. She had told me stories of her childhood, and I really liked her. I had no clue why she would join the cult, but never got the courage to ask her. In 1985, my sister was born. Before long, Enoch, Evelyn, and Emma lived in a small house on the property that the Foundation had bought in southern Utah. The cult renamed the massive ranch Angel Canyon and began Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in earnest. The cult demanded that Enoch and Evelyn send Emma off to Denver to begin the separation process, under the guise of needing Enoch and Evelyn to do more work for the cult. But this was simply cult policy and practice. Separate the kids from their parents and make sure there was no particular relationship there. The priority was the cult slash commune and its efforts. Enoch and Evelyn resisted, but eventually relented and Emma spent time in Denver at a very young age. I think even before she turned two. They were able to get her back after a while, maybe even up to a year later, and they tried hard to be a regular family, albeit still in a strange cult that lived in a sprawling commune and rescued hundreds of animals each year. Enoch even began to form friendships in the small town of Kanab, just seven miles south of Angel Canyon. He started volunteering on the all-volunteer Kanab Fire Department. Every summer, when all the big enough kids, about age 10 and older, were hauled out to Angel Canyon to work 12-hour days and sleep every night for two months in a tent city next to the cat portion of the animal sanctuary, my father would make sure he spent time with me. He got me as his assistant on a lot of projects, mostly plumbing-related. We installed toilets, built water supply infrastructure, and I learned to connect PVC pipe. In 1989 or 1990, the cult told Enoch and Evelyn it was time to send Emma to Dallas, where all the rest of the cult kids were living and attending Faith School, the cult's tiny private school, which, my listeners, you already know. They refused. Eventually, Emma was taken to Denver. Within a couple of months, Enoch said, screw it, and went and got her. He, Evelyn, and Emma were told to leave the cult. They moved into a tiny house in Kanab, and at the age of something like 40, my father and his small family began a new life. He was industrious. He worked as a handyman, laying carpet, doing plumbing, and lots more in order to support the family. He rose in the ranks of the Kanab Fire Department, eventually becoming the training guy. He went back to school and chose the medical field. He became a nurse at Kanab Hospital, then did more training and eventually moved to Salt Lake City after separating from Evelyn. They had reverted to their pre-cult names by this time, by the way, so we were go so they were going by Bruce and Susan. We'll pause here for a quick plug from my sponsor, and then we'll come back to the last bit of chapter six uh, from my memoir. Stay tuned, guys. Okay, so like we got to, we got to where uh, Bruce and Susan, my father and uh, his wife, technically my stepmother, and their daughter Emma, had been told to leave the cult. They'd moved in Kanab, and they were going by their pre-cult names, Bruce and Susan. So they were in the town, and he had. Uh, we just got to him separating, and there we go. Uh, my dad has had a long, inspiring career in the medical field, training and guiding lots of other nurses and medical professionals, saving lives regularly. Susan, or Evelyn, moved back to Canada soon after the separation and divorce, taking Emma with her. Emma went to school there, graduating from a high school in Barrie. 
I got to watch her graduate. She and I had stayed in close touch because we were sister and brother, and that mattered to us. As an aside, it still matters to us. She is one of the most important relationships, and I treasure uh, having her as a sister often. I wish we could spend more time, but we both have families now. Okay, back to the memoir. Susan, sadly, got sick years ago and still lives in Canada. We got to visit her years ago, and we've seen her a couple of other times. Emma eventually moved back to Utah after some college, got married, divorced, and married again to a very fine man. They have a baby. We spend time together as much as we can. And that's what came of, quote, Are You My Father? A lot of this will be useful context for stories I tell in the upcoming chapters. Some people might wonder how it feels to be the son that my father didn't fight for, didn't risk his standing in the commune he had been part of for decades for. It doesn't bother me. I'm so glad he fought for Emma and his small family. Yes, I would have liked the same, but he was younger. We all change and we need to have the freedom to change and learn from life. I take comfort in the certainty that his and my somewhat odd relationship was part of the motivation for him to do what it took to keep his family together, that he wanted to make sure he didn't make the same mistakes twice. Because yes, it was a mistake. Leaving your kid in the hands of random cult members who might not have the skills or temperament to properly care for children is a mistake. Straight up. He tried to form a relationship when we were together, and that surely made a difference. But it wasn't everything that a kid needs. It wasn't what I needed. I needed a father, a confidant, a protector, a dad. And I didn't have that, and that was a mistake. But mistakes aren't an indictment and a conviction and a sentence to lifelong guilt and burden. They're an opportunity to learn. I was hurt by the mistake, but again, I have been blessed with the gift of forgiveness, and I like who I am, so there's no way I would go back and change things. I believe my father learned from what he knew was a bad series of circumstances for me. I know he regrets those old choices, but I pray he also was blessed with the gift of forgiveness of himself. Because we're all just doing the best we know how, and I know, top to bottom, that he had no ill intent. He was just trying to figure things out, and that's all we can ask of each other and ourselves. And that is the end of chapter six of the memoir. Remember, the memoir is called, uh, Hey Kid, There's Nothing Wrong With You. I am currently querying it. Well, I'm supposed to be querying it. I'm supposed to loop you guys in on the uh, the process there. Yeah, I haven't sent any queries uh, since the last recording. I should. Um, why don't I feel any guilt about that? Because I said I would. Um, you know, it's interesting. I... I'm busy, you know, we can all claim busy, but I feel like I am prioritizing the things, things in the right way. Um, there are important things that I'm doing uh, for my neighborhood, for my church congregation, and I love those things, and I am glad that I'm doing those things, but they are exhausting things. Um, I don't regret being exhausted by them, but it also means that because I'm so tired and drained by these things often, I really don't have much left uh, for my side hustle. So as it were, you know, um, and, but, and I don't feel bad about that. I'm, I'm old enough to, to, to have no desire, um, or no compunction for guilt over things that I know I'm doing right. I'm making the right choice here. I'm prioritizing in the correct way. 
and um, doing the right things for the right people and so and for the right reasons. And so I don't have guilt, but I do have a longing to send some queries to see if this book can maybe get some traction somewhere, you know, with some memoir uh, folks. And so, um, you know what? It's I'm recording Thursday, uh, December 19th. It's 10.31 p.m. I hereby promise that before my next podcast, which I'll record um, more than likely after Christmas, uh, my, by my next podcast episode, I will have sent at least a couple of queries. Let's say at minimum of two. Uh, I'll shoot for more, five, five to ten. Um, yeah, okay, I've committed, guys. Here we go. Let's see if I can do that. It'll probably be two weeks uh, before I do that, before you hear from me again. So, uh, you know, everybody's on pins and needles, I know. Um, anyway, so um, I wanted to share a couple of thoughts um, and maybe just uh, see if you all have input. You're welcome to email me at jared at jaredgarrett.com or find me on Twitter. Uh, had a person send me a very uh, nice email recently. They, they've read uh, Beyond the Cabin, my novelization of my funky childhood, and they've listened to a bunch of episodes, and they had some nice insights and, to share with me, um, and that was nice of them. Thank you. Um, you're welcome to find me on email or Twitter or even on my Facebook author page or even public page, I guess. Um, I'm pretty, you know, undiscerning when it comes to who I accept friendship requests from. Um, anyway, moving on. I don't want to open myself to something terrible. Um, so, all right. So I, I found a, a few scars on my body, which I, I don't know where they came from, right? Um, I don't know if it's an accident that I forgot about, um, if it's something that happened when I was too young to really have it stick. But a couple, one of them is, is a pretty significant scar in an odd place. And I don't know where it came from. It's got a, an interesting shape, and I don't know where it came from. Um, I've also got some emotional things in there that I believe are being healed, healed either over or past, so that I don't have to worry about them. But the question I have for you is, do you think it would be worth it for me to go and do some sort of therapy that tried to bring me back to events that my mind may have said, I'm better off not remembering? Um, what does the research say? Does the research say, go ahead and you need to deal with all these things or you're not going to be free? Because I feel pretty free, guys. I don't feel like I'm, I'm uh, blind to things. Um, I don't feel like I'm trying to ignore potential old trauma. I believe that I'm in very good shape uh, in general. Um, I certainly know that uh, some of the things I've had to deal with and overcome, uh, which have strengthened me, and I'm thankful for that, but they've certainly been the source of those things certainly was my childhood uh, and my difficulty with having a deep emotional, truly emotionally deep connection uh, and my difficulty with being vulnerable and showing true, pure vulnerability with the people I love. Um, I know that that's part of, part of the way I grew up. Um, but I wonder, I wonder what your thoughts are. You know, should Jared, pretty happy dude, uh, go and do some sort of thing to try to I don't know, some sort of regressive hypnosis or some sort of whatever that uh, optical stimulation stuff is or EMDF or something. EMF, you're unbelievable. I don't know what it is. Um, should I do that? What do you think? I probably won't, but I'm very interested to know what you think about that. Um, do you think that I'm turning a blind eye? Do you think that I am um, overlooking the possibility for even greater understanding of myself 
uh, of my own past and a greater strength as a person and a greater ability today? Um, or are you with me in that I think that what's the point? Why would I bother with that? Um, I am good and I am continuing to be better. I am gaining greater strength and a greater knowledge of myself through spiritual means. I am seeking God in prayer daily. Uh, I am studying his word. I am also studying myself in, in, in quiet moments here and there, uh, fairly regularly, honestly, um, having conversations with myself, trying to have those conversations between me and God actually be important. Um, and so, you know, is, is that enough? Because I feel like it probably is. Uh, and uh, again, you are. I would love to hear from you in, in, in any kind of an informed or forceful way. Um, and if, who knows? Maybe one of you will convince me to go and do some sort of thing. But I want to tell you a funky thing. Um, I, uh, when I moved to Seattle to, um, to go work for Amazon some years ago, um, I moved up there alone because the kids were still in school. We had a couple of months uh, where the kids were going to be still in school and my wife was going to stay here in Utah to prepare the house for sale. She, my gosh, <laughs> I am never allowed to complain about being really, really busy. I can share about being busy, but never complain because what she accomplished um, in those two months of 2015 is nothing short of miraculous. It's, uh, it's incredible for what she did. Uh, two, you know, all the kids in school, we had six kids at the time, uh, healthy, happy, progressing, graduated strong, or finished school strong. Uh, and at the same time, she prepared our home for sale completely by herself. Um, like getting rid of a ton of junk. She spent hours dealing with junk, cleaning, straightening, and preparing the house to be staged. It was amazing what she accomplished. And the house sold quite quickly, so she did a fantastic job. Um, so... Anyway, so when I went up to, to Seattle during that time uh, that I was up there alone living in corporate housing, you know, on my downtime, what little I had, I started watching Dexter because I had some uh, coworkers who were saying it's good. So I started watching it on, I, I guess, Netflix or something and found it, you know, compelling and fairly absorbing, uh, but um, also fairly graphic. And so I did, you know, I didn't really want to watch it for too long. Um, I, I wound up seeing uh, an episode at one point. Uh, where we get to know um, kind of what Dexter, what happened to him. And there's a part, um, I, think it's a, I think that's in Dexter, pretty sure, where there's somebody who was a witness to a murder as a smaller child many years before. And they go to this thing where they do regressive hypnosis to have them remember the details of what they saw so that they could, so that the, the police could get the leads that they needed to solve the crime. Um, I had a really weird reaction, guys. It was weird. I mean, as they were uh, gearing up and kind of sending the kid, it was acting too, my friends. This wasn't real, although that's a real activity that can be done. I was, I was like, nope, 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 nope. My whole time, I was audibly with my very voice saying, nope, there's no way I would ever do that. And I, and at the same time, I was wondering, why am I having this reaction to this? So I sometimes wonder, have I blocked something? Do I need to go figure out what it is? My friends, I don't think I do. I think that I blocked it for good reasons. I think that I am blessed by the wonderful process of my brain saying, you don't need that. You don't need to remember it ever. Um, and honestly, I believe that that's the case. So you tell me what you think, guys, uh, As a, in the waning minute here. Email me, message me, uh, whatever, Twitter, whatever. Find find some way, let me know. And, you know, your responses, I'll share them. I'll share them with the... Uh, 
the uh, the listeners here, the faithful listeners. Uh, and that's all for today. I want to thank you with my lengthy thank you and goodbye. Uh, this was episode 35, uh, Memoir Chapter 6, Are You My Father? Remember, your word of mouth makes all the difference. Uh, if you're a podcaster, please feel free to podcast and let me know or plug me and I'll plug you too. Um, let's just help each other out. Uh, you're welcome to click on the support link. You're welcome to, I, oh boy, I please, I plead that you will, uh, you will um, click on the support link um, and that you will leave reviews. Boy, reviews make all the difference too, to make me look legit. It, it helps people see that, you know, lots of people are, are listening to this podcast. You know, you can review at, you know, three or two or one, whatever star you want, but lots of reviews help people see, oh, that's a popular podcast because it's a fairly popular podcast. I mean, there are millions of podcasts out there, right? Um, this definitely is above average in listenership because of you guys. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, plug and all that stuff. And if you're looking for a late Christmas gift, you can email me. I will autograph a book and send it to you for money. Not a lot. 15 bucks covers it. I will eat shipping costs for you. I've already got uh, the envelopes. I would just need an address and a Venmo or a PayPal. So you're welcome to get an autographed copy of a book from me. Uh, it would pr- I could get it to you before Christmas if you got a hold of me right away. Um, otherwise, Amazon is where all my books are. You can also order via Barnes & Noble. And uh, until next episode, which will be episode 36, The Promenade and Easing In and Out. Until then, my friends, may I please ask that you have a merry, merry Christmas, that you have a delightful new year, and that you don't wait for some calendar turning to decide, you know, where you can improve where we can all improve and do better. Look around, find people who need help, and keep looking around and keep helping. You're making a great difference in the world every time you even just smile at someone. Until next time, stay smiling, my friends.